Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, continuing our series through the book of Romans. This morning, we'll be considering the first 10 verses of Romans. Wasn't able to get that in the bulletin. The first 10 verses of Romans 11. And we're going to read God's Word under the heading this morning of God's chosen remnant. God's chosen remnant from the first 10 verses of Romans 11. God's chosen remnant, we're beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected His people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that He would not see, and ears that they would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is the Word of the Lord. May we receive it with a believing heart. A blessed congregation, how long can you offer forgiveness to someone who rejects it? How long can you offer forgiveness to someone who rejects it? Think of a teacher with uncooperative students. How long does she work with them before she says, I give up! Or a parent with a disobedient daughter. How long before the parent says, you're on your own? This is the question that Paul is dealing with in Romans chapter 11. Look back at chapter 10, the last verse we looked at last week. Verse 21, God says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. But how long will He offer forgiveness. Remember that in Paul's ministry, the ministry of the Apostle Paul, he has been preaching the Gospel to the Gentiles. He has been preaching the Gospel to the Jews. But the Gentiles are turning to Christ en masse. The floodgates of the, of the Gentiles has opened up and the church is full. But in the preaching of the Gospel to the Jews, they're not responding. And Paul in Romans 9 through 11 is grappling with this question. Well, what is God's place for Israel? What is his plan for them? And in Romans 9, if God has chosen who is saved, that's what Romans 9 says. And in Romans 10, we learn that God has not been pleased to grant Israel repentance, 
the question now becomes in chapter 11, have the Jews spurned God so badly that He now rejects them? At what point does God say, enough is enough, and reject His people? Well, praise be to God that the answer is an emphatic no. God does not reject His people. His kindness is not as sparse as our kindness. His forgiveness is not as reluctant as our forgiveness. His patience is not as fleeting as our patience. For His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than the earth. They are higher than our ways. Congregation, if we were God in heaven, we would have grown impatient with Israel long ago. Our anger quickly rises. Our patience quickly wears thin. We would have quickly cast off the people who have offended us. But what we learn is that God is relentlessly patient. Patient even with people who are disobedient. People who are contrary, such as Israel. God has not rejected His people. The promise of salvation is an unfailing promise. Even right now, to this very day, God is gathering His people from Israel and from other nations. But notice what Paul wants to teach us here is that God does not gather His people according to works. He doesn't gather His people according to ethnicity. God's chosen remnant, Paul says, the church exists by grace. It exists by grace. And His unfailing word to Israel, His unfailing word to the elect, is that He will save His people by grace in Jesus Christ. His unfailing word to the elect is that He will save His people by grace in Jesus Christ. So we want to see Paul's teaching here in three points about God's character. First point, God never rejects His people. That's point one. Secondly, God's plan is never thwarted. And third, God's grace never fails. God never rejects His people. His plan is never thwarted. And His grace never fails. So Paul begins with God will never reject His people. We see this in the rhetorical question he so often begins with in this letter. I ask then as God rejected His people. And by His people, Paul is referring to the Jewish people, the ethnic nation of Israel. You remember in the Bible that God often described the Jews as His chosen people. He described the Jews as His very own possession. His peculiar treasure. Has God rejected them? Paul's response. It's emphatic. By no means, he says. The King James Version, God forbid. 
The ninth time that Paul has used this in the epistle to the Romans. And it's the strongest denial he can possibly use. It's the strongest statement Paul can possibly make. Will God reject His people? By no means. No, God never rejects His people. And Paul gives two proofs I want you to notice this morning. Two proofs that God will never reject His people. The first proof is His own spiritual testimony. And the second proof is the biblical testimony. First, notice Paul's spiritual autobiography. Verse 1. Will God reject His people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has clearly not rejected His people. And Paul says, I am exhibit A. That God has not rejected us. Notice three things about Paul here. He's an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham. Paul is saying, I am a direct descendant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I can trace a line from Abraham all the way to me. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Remember that Benjamin was the special child of Jacob, of his beloved wife, Rachel. Benjamin was the only of this one of the sons who was born in the land of promise. Paul says, not only do I come from Abraham, I come from a special place in Abraham. And we know of Paul that he was a very zealous man. Zealous for the law of God. Studied under Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee. And he tells us in Philippians chapter 3 that according to the eyes of man, he was perfect according to the law. Philippians 3 verse 4. You see, Paul is a Hebrew of Hebrews. If there was anyone, you could have said, now that is an Israelite. That is a Hebrew. That is a Jew. It would have been Paul. Circumcised on the eighth day. Raised in the covenant. Studied under the law. Zealous to the law as to a Pharisee. If anyone was a Jew, it was him. But that's not all we could say about Paul. Because if there was anyone whose heart was hard to the Gospel, was it not also Paul? Luke tells us in Acts chapter 9, that Saul breathed out threats against the disciples of the Lord. As close as the breath is to your lungs this morning, so close was hatred and anger and murder in the heart of Paul towards Jesus Christ. It says that he went into Christians' homes and he bound them up and he drugged them out and he took them to Jerusalem for trial. And worst of all, we know that Paul stood and consented to the death of righteous Stephen. He was stoned to death at Paul's feet. They took rocks and they crushed his body. And Saul consented to his death. And he went home and he slept like a baby. You know what Saul was? brothers and sisters. The reason I bring this up to you is because so, so often we tend to minimize the failures of our heroes. But what was Saul? He was a pharisaical terrorist. He was a radical. He was hard-hearted. Endorsing evil. 
for what he thought was the higher purpose of God. Why do I bring this up to you? Because if there was anybody that God should have rejected, if there was any Jew that God should have said, he's too hard-hearted, he's too radical, he's too disobedient and obstinate to the Gospel, if there was anyone who God should not have saved, it was him. He was an unbeliever. He was zealous in his opposition to the church. But God chose him called him, justified, and saved him. And why did God save Saul? Well, elsewhere Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, listen to this, of whom I am the foremost. He says, I'm the worst sinner. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, listen, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who would believe. Paul is a living, breathing example and testimony that God chooses, calls, and saves Jews. And if God can save Saul, He can save anyone. If God can save someone who is a pharisaical terrorist, He can save any other Jew, can He not? There is no one too hard-hearted, no one too evil, no one too resistant for the Gospel for God to come in and renovate their heart by His grace. See, what is the evidence that God is still for His people? Paul says the greatest example that God has not rejected His people is that He still saves. How do you know that God is for you? Not that you have a cushy lifestyle. Or that you have everything you'd ever want. Or that you never have ailments and afflictions. The way that you know that God is for you is that He gives you His salvation. Paul is saying the fact that God would turn my hard heart to Him. The fact that God has elect people amongst the Jews whom He foreknew. That is the greatest evidence that He has not rejected Israel. And God has not rejected us. We have God's salvation. And did we not just see this morning the example of that in the profession of our dear sister Mindy. God has not forsaken us. God has not forsaken her or her family. We are the living and the breathing examples that God is for His people. This is such a radical shift in our thinking. We lose our job and we think, God is against me. We have a physical ailment, some health issue, and we think He's out to get me. We have some various trial. We have a family issue. Whatever it may be. And we think we are the enemies of God. And Paul says no. If you have the gift of salvation, God is for you in Christ. And nothing can separate you from His love.
That's the spiritual testimony. God never rejects His people. There's also a biblical testimony. All throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we receive this testimony. God will never reject His people. And what Paul is quoting there in verse 2 is actually 1 Samuel 12. Now if you remember 1 Samuel 12, this is a chapter where the people reject God. They didn't want a king to rule them, they said to Saul. And God says to them, they did not reject you, Samuel. They rejected me. This is the chapter where the people begin to depart from the one true faith of Yahweh and they begin to serve the Baals. They reject God as king. They reject God as their Lord. But what does the Lord say in 1 Samuel 12, verse 22? It says the Lord will not forsake His people. Now this is not a promise that God will save all Jews. We're going to talk about that next week when we look at the rest of Romans 11. God never promises to save every Jew. This is not Paul being a proponent of Zionism that the Jews need to return to a home in the Middle East. This is a promise that God is drawing His elect from Israel. He is drawing His elect from the ends of the earth. And He is bringing them into the church by the transforming power and grace of Jesus Christ. Parents, isn't there a word of comfort here for you? Maybe some of us here today have had children who have turned their backs on God. They've received the promise of baptism. I will be your God. And they have said, no. They're hard to His promise. Uncooperative with His grace. Paul says God stands still with His hands open wide to disobedient and contrary people. Know this day, mom and dad, that His mercy is still fresh. The promise made at this baptismal font is still true. And He stands ever ready day and night to save His elect until that last day. This is Paul's comfort for his kinsmen according to the flesh. And this should be our comfort as well. It does not matter how hard-hearted we are. It doesn't matter how wicked we are. If God saves sinners like Saul and saves sinners like the Jews, He can save sinners like us and our children as well. God never rejects His people. Secondly, God's plan is never thwarted. See, Paul says, I'm the evidence, I'm exhibit one that God saves His elect people. God has not rejected us. Look at me. But you might say, well, that's only one man. Oh, that's much less than an entire nation of Israel. And see, to the human perception, they might be discouraged that God is not strong to keep His promise. You might say, well, yes, God keeps His promise, but just by the skin of His teeth. Well, the Apostle Paul is comforted by Elijah. I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn with me to 1 Kings 19 this morning. 1 Kings 19, where Paul is quoting from. And we come, in 1 Kings 19, to a terrible time in the history of Israel. This is perhaps the worst time of apostasy 
in the Old Testament. You remember that Ahab is king and he is ruling with his uh, wife, the priestess of Baal, Jezebel. And make no mistake this morning that Ahab and Jezebel hated God. We are told in 1 Kings 16, verse 32, Jezebel persuaded Ahab to sanction idolatry in the high places. We're told in chapter 18, verse 4, that under their leadership, they instituted a mass persecution of the Jews. Chapter 18, verse 4. Then they, chapter 18, verse 13, where they killed the prophets. And then chapter 19, verse 4, where they actually dismantled God's altars and built shrines to pagan gods. And in chapter 19, Elijah is so discouraged that God's promise isn't true. He is so frustrated by the state of the church in his day that he runs to Mount Horeb. He is depressed and suicidal. He says, Lord, take my life. I don't want to live anymore. And he says, look at verse 10 of chapter 19, 1 Kings 19. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel. They have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars. They have killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left and they seek my life. That's what Paul's quoting. Elijah is saying to the Lord, when I look at your church, when I look at Israel, I don't see your hand. I don't see you fulfilling your promise. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. I wonder if Paul felt the same way. Going into the synagogues, preaching the Gospel, and the Jews turning away. And Paul, going to the ends of the earth, going to the Gentiles, seeing them come in, he's wondering, Lord, am I the only Jew left? Or at least there's only a small collection of Jews? But Paul is comforted with God's words to Elijah. See, God provides Elijah, provides for Elijah in three ways. In 1 Kings 19. He provides for him by giving him food and rest. Remember, he comes to Elijah, he meets him, but he's not in the earthquake, he's not in the fire. He comforts him with his presence in a still small voice. But notice this most of all, God comforts Elijah with the church. I have kept for Myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. See, when Elijah thought he was alone, he thought that God had abandoned His people. He thought that God had cast His covenant aside. God comforted him with 7,000 men that God, look at verse 5, preserved for Himself a remnant. And that term remnant is a biblical idea. That when you feel alone in your faith, and that when Christ seems to be losing the war with the evil one, and when you look at your church, or you look at the church in, as it exists in North America, and it's weak and empty, the doctrine of the remnant shows us that God still has a purpose. God still has a work. He still has a people. And we see it all throughout the Bible. Remember Noah. How there was only wickedness and unrighteousness on the earth and very few people were looking to God and looking for righteousness and God preserved a remnant. 
in Noah's family. It was the same in the days of Lot. He and his family looked around Sodom and Gomorrah and all they saw was wickedness. All they saw was evil. But God preserved a remnant. So it was in Isaiah when Isaiah is in the throne room commissioned by God and the Lord says, who will go? Isaiah says, here I am. And the Lord tells him, they will reject you. They will not receive your Gospel. They will not respond in repentance and faith. But I have preserved a remnant. And so it is with Elijah. Not just one person, not just five, not just 100, 7,000 men. And men here doesn't refer just to males, but it refers to their household. 10,000? 15, 20,000 people? Men, women, and children? And remember that the number seven so often in the Scriptures, denotes fullness, doesn't it? A completeness. What is God saying to Elijah? He's saying even though the church seems empty, even though it feels broken, even though it looks beleaguered and weak, to the eyes of God, the church is full. Full of His elect people who He is calling from Israel, who He is calling from the ends of the earth. To God, all the people who are called to be there are there. We know this. Churches will fall. Denominations will stumble. But God's, God will preserve His elect in gener- every generation. Though the church looks weak to the eyes of men, though the bride of Christ can seem beleaguered and broken, the church belongs to Him. It is His bride, and she shall never fail. It was Jesus who said, I am building My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. What is He saying? My plan for the church will never fail. My plan for the church will never fail. There's something so fascinating about this story with Elijah. Because when he's hurting, when he's depressed and suicidal, and he needs comfort, where does the Lord point him? The church. 7,000 men. When we are hurting, when we are depressed, when we are a broken people, God gives you a gift in the covenant community to surround you, to love you, to spur you on. His plan is never thwarted. thwarted. Look to your brothers and sisters in Christ for strength. And is it this not also a call that the church must operate by faith? We cannot judge the success of the Gospel based on who is here or who isn't here. When in Elijah's day, the church seemed small and broken. Put it this way, Elijah was looking at the empty pew. But God was looking at the person who was in the pew people who were there. We too must operate by faith. Believing in the promises of God 
that His Word will go forth and not return to Him void. The church is an institution of faith. We put faith in God's plan. That it will never be thwarted. And so what we've seen then is that God has promised He will never reject His people. That His sovereign choice, His sovereign plan is never thwarted. But third and finally, we are assured that His grace shall never fail. Paul says there's still a remnant. There's still a church. And even when the world seems dark and our nation seems so weak and broken and the church along with it, God preserved a remnant in Elijah's day. And He will do the same, Paul says, in the new covenant age. So too, he says, God has preserved a remnant. He preserved a remnant with Noah. He preserved a remnant with Elijah and Isaiah. And He does so with Paul. And we know this. It was in the book of Acts we're told that 3,000 Jews called upon the name of Christ and were baptized. Acts 2. And then the next day, Peter preached another sermon and another 5,000 Jews responded with repentance and faith. Acts 4. In Acts 6, verse 7, we are told that the Gospel spread so powerfully that even many priests, Levitical priests, believed. James, in Acts 21, verse 20, writes to Paul and shares with him that many thousands of Jews believed. But how did they believe? How did they become part of this remnant? How did they get there? Look at what Paul says. Not because of works. Not because of their own righteousness. Not because of their ethnicity were they saved, but because of God's unfailing grace. Because He has loved a lost and broken people. Because He has sent His Son to die upon the cross where He cried out upon that cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So that God could give to His chosen people an unmerited favor, an unfailing grace. Paul says that is why many Jews have been saved. That is why we are saved. Because of an unfailing grace. A grace that never fails. Because of grace, He doesn't forsake the people He has chosen. Because of grace, He doesn't resist us when we fall into sin. Because of grace, He keeps us for Himself. Because of grace, He will receive us into heaven. Beloved, even in the decline of our culture, when the world seems to go in the opposite direction we would want it, when our churches seem to fail, and there's more people not in the pew than in the pew, God has chosen His remnant. There is an elect among us, and there is nothing that Satan can do to overthrow His grace. His grace wins. His grace triumphs. His grace never fails. But before we conclude, Paul ends this message with a sobering reminder. God is sovereign and everything rests in His hands. Look at these last few verses. If Israel is blind to their sins, it is not because God has abrogated His covenant promise. 
It is not that his word is no longer true. They are blind because God has allowed them to be. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. This doesn't mean that God delights in evil or that He is actively hardening someone's heart. But Israel has rejected Him and in many ways, God has let them reject Him. So be weary, young people. Do not think that you can reject God today and embrace Him tomorrow. If you don't want to hear the Word of God, He will allow you to be deaf. If you don't want to see the Kingdom of God, He will allow you to be blind. Rejecting Christ and seeking to establish your own righteousness, Paul says, is like a stupor. It's like being in a deep sleep, insensitive to everything. Don't let that happen to you. That's the warning here. You Gentiles, don't look down at Israel for what they've done. Because it could happen to us as well. That's the sense of these final verses. If, this, if the word of salvation has been brought to you like it has been brought to the Jews, may it not be the thing that you stumble over. See, the table, verse 9, is the word of God. That God has presented to us a sumptuous feast in the word. It's the message of salvation. The thing that is meant to nourish, sustain, and give life. May it not be the thing that takes you out. Instead, may we say with David in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. So heed the warning that Paul is giving. We live in a sin-hardened world. A world that is hard to the Gospel. A world that is resistant to righteousness. But he is preserving his remnant. But before we conclude, I want you to just notice one thing. Where does that remnant come from? It comes from those who are hard-hearted. That means that there is hope for the hard-hearted. If you, if you repent, it is clear that you don't belong to the world. It is clear that you belong to the elect. How does God gather His remnant? By calling hard-hearted people to Himself. Hard-hearted people in His grace. Come and respond this morning to His grace and know that His grace never fails even for the hardest of souls. Paul is the living example of this. That God saves hard-hearted sinners. As we witness the profession of faith, I need to ask you before we conclude, is God pricking your heart this morning to profess your faith? To embrace Christ as Lord and King. Don't let another day go by. Don't let the Word be a stumbling block to you. May it be the very thing that gives you life. And may you stand as a living and breathing example like Paul, like Mindy, like this church, that God saves sinners by His grace. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, we give You thanks that even though there is rampant unbelief in this world, 
There's even rampant unbelief in your, in your church from time to time. You have never rejected your people. And you have promised us that you would preserve your remnant. And we are the remnant, the people of your inheritance. Saved by grace. We thank you, Lord, that you were pleased to save many Jews by your grace. You've been pleased to save us by your grace. And we pray, Lord, that you would save sinners through us even this day. That we would embrace you. That we would hold you. That we would love you. And worship you for the rest of our days. We pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.